A joy to be here uh, on one more Sunday with all of you guys and I'm sharing with you uh, today the conclusion of our four-part preaching series through the Psalms, right? And it's impossible to go through all 150 Psalms and so the way we have gone about doing it is to look at four different types of Psalms and so over the last five weeks uh, uh, with Easter sandwiched in the middle, uh, we have looked at the praise psalms, the psalms that we give thanks and, and adoration and joy and gratitude to God. We have looked at the lament psalms, the ones where we are in the blues and, in the, and down in the dumps and when we are feeling crushed and defeated and hemmed in on every side and God gives us a voice uh, uh, to, 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 to lift up to the heavens, to Him. We looked at the devotion psalms and the psalms of confidence. The, these are the love songs where we express our loyalty and our fidelity and our love and our commitment to the Lord. And today, we are closing it out with the justice psalms. These are the psalms where injustice has taken place. These are the psalms where something is so obviously wrong not even not right, so obviously wrong in this world when weak and righteous people see the wicked thriving, prospering and oppressing them. These are the Psalms that veer on the, go, veer on the, on the verge of being vengeance Psalms where, where the Psalmist even calls out for justice and judgment and retribution against those perpetrators of evil. And they are not easy uh, to fully understand but in this church, we do difficult things, so let's go into the justice psalms. I'm going to read for you a typical justice psalm, okay? It's, I've chosen Psalm 7. I'm going to read to you straight, but as you know, uh, um, as is my style sometimes, I will put, um, I will show you on the left-hand column uh, the, the, the pattern, the structure, what the psalm is doing and how the psalm is moving from one movement to the next, to the next, a little bit like a classical piece is going from movement to movement to movement. And as you go through it, you see that the thinking and, the, uh, and what the psalmist is doing is shifting from one shift to another to another. But I'm not going to stop to articulate the stuff on the left. I'm having it on the screen for you to see. I'm just going to read through the psalm straight. Psalm 7. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with no one to deliver. O oh Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. 
judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his recording back up. All right. Let's read verse 12 one more time. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared him for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. Amen. Now, Psalms like Psalm 7, the Justice Psalms, show up all throughout your 150 Psalms. You will see them very frequently. They, they do sound angry. They are angry Psalms. They do sound desperate because they are Psalms, cry, cries of desperate people. And if one more click, right, we can see that these Psalms follow a certain pattern. There is a call to, for rescue. This guy is in danger. This guy is under threat. This guy is, un is, un is being hemmed in right, uh, by enemies. And so he appeals to God. In fact, this particular psalm, Psalm 7, he appeals to God and so uh, there's a boldness to the way he appeals to God. Did you see that? He said that, God, if I have done wrong, if I have repaid my friends with evil, then may you come and judge me. Wow, quite scary, right? And, and it, takes, it takes some conscience to pray like that to God. It takes, it takes some level of awareness of your own blamelessness to cry out to God like that. If, if, I, if, I'm blame, if, I, if, if you can blame me, then blame me, God. You know? Because what, what is he doing? What's the psalmist doing? He's asking God to rain down judgment on evil. And he's putting his own self as collateral as if to say, God, Rain down judgment on evil. And if I've been evil, then saturata semua mati. Right? He's essentially saying that, let me fall if I've been evil, but, I, but you must rain down judgment on evil. Cannot already. Cannot tahan already. And then he expresses his confidence in the Lord. Lord, you are good. You will come for me. You will punish the wicked. And then he ends by giving thanks for God. This pattern is there in many of the judgment psalms. I'm going to show you three things about the judgment psalms. The first one, we want to know why the judgment psalms, or rather we want to know that the judgment psalms are there for those who suffer. They are there for those who suffer injustice. They are there uh, uh, for those who suffer oppression, 
uh, uh, when they are the weakest, most vulnerable, uh, um, the justice sounds are there for those who suffer. But we also want to see that the justice sounds are also there for those who don't suffer. They are there for those who don't suffer. They are there for the comfortable. They are there for the privileged. They are there for those who, who, can, who have never known what it's like to be evicted from the, for, from the home that you are renting in because, someone, because your landlord doesn't like the colour of your skin. They are there for the people who have never known what it's like uh, to sit in a social, in a government office waiting to get your, 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 your aid, waiting to get your small government handout, right? your social service handout, that kind of thing. Right? And then the people behind the desk just make you wait for hours and then at the end of four or five hours they tell you, Sorry, huh? the officer you're waiting for, he didn't come in today. And you come back round after round after round. And they bully you like that. It's for people, maybe like many of us, who've never had to walk down the street and feel afraid. Feel afraid that any moment you can get arrested, any moment the mata will stop you and ask you questions, right? That the police see, see you, look like foreign worker, stop and ask you 20 questions. That every day you go around in the constant fear that someone is going to look at you and find some way to make life hard for you. The justice psalms are there for those who suffer. The justice psalms are there for those who don't. And then there is a certain type of justice psalm. There is a name for it. It's a long name. It's a scary sounding name. But I assure you, the psalms themselves are even more scary than the name. The name is, they are called the imprecatory psalms. And the imprecatory psalms are the psalms where the psalmer calls on God to punish those who do evil. So they go beyond just asking God for help. They literally call on curses and misfortune upon the evil people who are oppressing them. And as a closure for today's topic, today's sermon, we're going to look at the imprecatory psalms and what they are there for. They are there for those who suffer, they are there for those who don't, and they are there to show us the voice of the imprecatory psalms. Let's go into the first one. They are there for those who suffer. And for those of you who have gone, you have experienced some kind of, some kind of marginalization. For those of you, you have been treated very, very poorly. It could have been in your workplace. It could have been in, your, in, in a former place that you've lived in. It could have been in your family. You could have been very badly treated in your family. You could have been uh, treated like, like you don't deserve to be there. And then maybe there was favoritism in your family. Maybe there was... Maybe there was, there was jealousy and envy and all kinds of things that, that were running in, uh, underneath. Maybe you've been on the back of racism. Maybe uh, if you're not treated uh, with racism here in Malaysia, maybe you were overseas and you were treated with racism. And maybe you had doors closed on you. Maybe you had university uh, uh, um, uh, doors and, uh, and options closed on you because you are just not of, uh, not, not of the right cut. Maybe you've had uh, jobs. Maybe you've been turned away because you're just not the right fit. Maybe you're a woman and because of that, people have closed doors on you. And for some reason, you have been treated unfairly, unjustly, not right. 
And I want you to know that the justice sounds are there to lend you voice. And this is a theme that we've been seeing throughout the, throughout the entire series that we've been doing on Psalms, is that the Psalms lend you voice. So that sometimes for some of the unspeakable wrong that you have had to come under, and I say unspeakable because sometimes you just don't have the words to articulate. You don't have the right words and expression. You're just, you're just short on vocab to tell God what kind of wrong you have suffered. And if that is you, you don't have to conjure more words as I shared with you all last week. You can go to the Psalms and they give you the words. And when you declare a Psalm like Psalm 7, for example, the words are there for you. Why? Because David... The, 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 the psalmist of Psalm 7 was crying from the same place of injustice, from the same place of woe as you. And so when he cries, you cry. You are crying with his words. You pinjam his words. And when you are share, crying out the same words for him, you are literally speaking with the same, with the same words of the one whom God spoke of that David, a man after my own heart, you're using his words. And God hears those voices again. He has heard those voices before. He has come to rescue over those voices before. Why will he not come and rescue you now? Now, I just want to say one more thing about injustice before I go on. But, but maybe I'll just let me show you the verse. Let me just show you the verse. Psalm 7, we saw it just now. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you who have appointed a judgment. David's words, it can be your words too. And Psalm 55, another justice psalm, says this, God, listen to my prayer. Don't you want God to listen to your prayer? God, listen to my prayer and do not hide from my plea for help. Pay attention. This guy is not LOA, okay? This guy is in des is just desperate. Pay attention to me and answer me. I'm restless and in turmoil with my complaints. Now, one thing you need to know about Justice Psalms. God, our God, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the God who created all of, uh, of the known universe, the Father of King Jesus, he is a just God. He is a just God and He desires to act justly. He desires for us to act justly as well. And a lot of the times you're going to see some of the many of the justice psalms speak about the, the crying out for justice when evil people are stalking you and looking out to bring you down. And that it's a, that's a biblical kind of setting of what injustice can look like. In fact, often looks like. It's when evil people set traps against you. Evil people try to corner you and kapong you and, and try to bring you down and, and frame you and all these things, right? You see David cry over these issues a lot. You will also see injustice come in the form of economic injustice. So in quite a lot of the justice psalms, you will see the psalmist crying out saying that, God, why is, it, why is it that the wicked prosper? 
Why is it that, that those who practice deviousness and unrighteousness, why are, they, why are their barns so full? Why are they so rich? Why are they so enjoying life while all of us who seek after you and, and pursue you, why are we suffering in poverty? And you see that, that all throughout the scriptures, uh, you will see the cries against economic injustice. In fact, Thalia and I were just talking about this last night that, the, that she was pointing out to me that, that the church makes a huge deal about the sexual ethic that the Bible uh, uh, talks about, right? In truth, the amount of Bible verses that speaks about fornication or homosexuality or some of these things that sometimes we, we make a big deal about, I'm not saying it's not a big deal, I'm just saying that proportionately, it's not that many verses. You want to know what occupies many verses in the Bible? economic disparity. The Bible talks about it over and over again. Old Testament to the New, back and forth, you see it being spoken about. How is it can the wealthy get so wealthy and the poor get so poor? I just want to, I just want to articulate, I just, just want to share with you guys, as your pastor and as the guy who's been preparing for today's sermon, just what has been my milieu this week. This week, we all heard news, I think maybe some of us may, may have been oblivious to it, but many of us would have heard news that Elon Musk has just bought over Twitter, or at least they have, they have, they have, they have completed the agreement for him to buy over Twitter for 44 billion US dollars. Now, is Twitter worth 44 billion US dollars? I don't know. To Elon Musk, it, it is, right? And then... People on social media, I received one text, you know, one, one, one posting, I saw it, um, started to say things like, this is such, in, such an obscene use of money. It's just that something is just not right. They, maybe people are just, just trying to put their finger on something and they're struggling because, because maybe at our, in, in our heart of hearts we are conflicted. I know I was. That, look, no, we're not here to tell Elon Musk what he can or can't do with his money. It's his own money. He made his wealth, blah, 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 blah. You know, and and on, on some level, I wrestled with that. And on some other level, it is true that 44B, just 0.1% of that, can go towards eradicating some of the most hard-line problems of economic disparity in the world we have today. And it's being spent on Twitter. Now, I'm still wrestling with it. That's part of my milieu this week. Is I'm wrestling with people saying, yeah, it's wrong. It's morally wrong for money like this amount to be exchanged while people go hungry. And I'm wrestling with that. I don't know precisely how to feel about that. Because I still feel the tension between our liberties to act as we do, as we, as we gain wealth? And is there a moral standard for what we do with our wealth? And my first gut feel was, I was reading all the comments and the first thing I wanted to type, I wanted to type like, and, and the next thing I wanted to type, after a while, I wanted to say that, guys, who's the first one among us who's going to share Christ to Elon Musk? But I know that sounds a little bit spicy as well. So I, I, I just, in the end, didn't, didn't um, uh, comment at all because it's true on some level does Elon Musk owe it to this world 
to spend his 44 million in a righteous way, maybe before God's eyes, yes. Who are we to tell him how he should spend his money? I don't know. But is there, is there a voice of God to carry the good news to him? There has to be someone. There has to be someone because God has appointed His people all around the, all around the world in business and in non-business, in, in level places of, of, of the billionaires and the places of the people on the ground. And He has appointed for the gospel to go and to go and to go and to reach many peoples. And so I plead with every single one of you, the way the world is going to be renewed is not when we rob from the rich to distribute it to the poor. And economists will tell you, guess what? Give it 50 years, all that money will, that disparity will happen again. Okay? You can, you can flatten everything out. I give it 100 years. All the disparities will come back out again because people just don't value money the same way. And people just don't have the desire and the wisdom to use money and to acquire money in the same way. And so after time, the disparities will re. Uh, will be re-established. But you know how the world is going to be, to be renewed, regenerated, restored to its, to its true proper form? When the good news of Jesus Christ, exalted above the things of this world, reaches out into the byways, highways, and the, and the, and the corridors of power, and also the, 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 the back alleys of the slums, when the good news of Jesus Christ reaches into the hearts of everyone and then you look at your Bibles and you see your Bible say that there is now no more Jew, no more Greek, no more slave master and no more slave. And then the power of the living God convicts you to know that once we were all slaves and now we are all set free. And that transformation of the heart is the one only true transformation that can set injustice right in this land. And church, it begins not with the guy who's going to find his way to Elon Musk. It begins with each and every one of us with the sphere of influence and, uh, and that little, what we call in Greek, oikos, with that little group of people whom God has surrounded us with and that he says, steward these people. Steward these people because one day there's going to be a politician coming out from that group. One day there's going to be a policy maker coming out from that group. One day there's going to be an influencer coming out from that group. And church, the hope of this land is in our hands. I'm not even saying in your hands, but it's in our hands collectively. And I would say this to every spiritually, I would say this prophetically to every church in Malaysia. This is the call over the Christian people in our land. And so sometimes our neighbours get very scared of us because they say that, oh, uh, uh, um, you Christian guys want to take over government. You all want to uh, uh, establish a Christian country, right? No, we don't. Honestly, we don't. We want to establish a godly country there, yes. We want to establish, we want to see godly people, God-fearing people across all the represented uh, um, uh, um, profiles in Malaysia in positions of authority, power and rule. And we believe that God will rule. And that's why in this church, we have a strong emphasis on our role in this land. And we need to walk into the justice psalms with this as our lens. Amen? Amen? So let's look at, at 
at a bit more about the justice psalms. The first point, which is that it's for those who suffer, is that they give you a voice to cry. And the second one is this, they give you a hope. They give you a hope to continue to believe that God will come through. And let's look at the slide for that, right? They give you hope. Why? Because in Psalm 7, we can see on the next slide, in verse 10, it says, My shield is with God who saves. How about that? How about just stopping it right there? My shield is with God who saves. He saves. Who does He save? He saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And when I read this for the first time, I'm like, wow, what a, what a way to translate the Greek. God feels indignation every day. I, I wasn't quite sure if indignation was the right thing to feel every day. But when God sees the wicked prospering, there's something a bosong about, uh, about seeing the... Uh, sorry, uh, here's a bit of Hokkien here, right? Bosong is not happy, right? It's a bit of bosong when, you, when God sees the wicked prospering. It's not right. It's not right. And God feels that every day. And then sometimes, and then we run into our theological dead ends and we say, God, you're all powerful. How can you feel bosong and not do anything about it? It's because He wants it done through us. He wants it to be done through us. If He wanted, He could wave His proverbial magic wand and hand and change everything. He could. But it would not transform our hearts. And so he wants to establish justice through the people he has given dominion over. Genesis 1, 2, 3, what does he do with the people he has, he has created? He's given them dominion over the land. That's why he asked Adam to name the animals, right? And Adam gave whatever names he wanted to give. That's why he told Adam, have dominion over this land. Why? Because he wants to do right. But the right that he wants to do has a specific way to be achieved and that way is that my image bearers will bear my image so much that they will rule as I would rule and in this way, kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. God speaks in heaven. I give you the keys to lock and unlock, to leash and unleash on earth. You rule on earth on my behalf. As I rule in heaven, you rule on earth. Every one of us has a role to play in injustice. And I struggled with this. I hope oh, I struggled with this. Today, this sermon was not easy for me. Psalm 58, then people will say, yes, there is a reward for the righteous. How many of you feel sometimes there is no reward for the righteous? Do so good, so good. I follow, I equal, I walk on the straight and narrow. Much I'm not worth it like that. How many of you have felt that before? Maybe you're not there now, but you've felt that before. You do all the right things, you cannot you, 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 you cannot sideline, you cannot malign, you cannot whatever it is. There is a God who judges on earth. And for you, if you have suffered some form of injustice or other. God is with you and He has given you these psalms so that you can cry to Him but He gives you hope as well. He reminds you there is a God who judges on earth and He feels indignant about that injustice every day. He is raising up good people to be placed around you to stand up for justice. But the next point is this. 
The justice psalms are not just there for those who feel injustice. The justice psalms are there for those who don't, for the comfortable. And there is a, there is a saying, uh, you may have heard this one before, that the gospel should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. It's actually a play on words from, 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 uh, from something that uh, someone was a humorist was talking about newspapers, saying that newspapers should, should, should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And then you've heard people in Christian circles flip it into this form that you see it in today. The gospel should comfort the disturbed, which was my first point, but also disturb the comfortable, which is my second point. It is for us, for those of us who have never felt been on the wrong end of injustice, it should stoke us. It should put a fire under our rear ends. It should make us feel like something is not right. Because you know what? When we don't look at our justice psalms, we think that, oh, God is great, right? All the time. And all the time, God is good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. One more time. And then we just enjoy life and sit in His blessings and we forget that right across our street, there is somebody being evicted from his house right now. And right now, within this same neighbourhood, there are Bangladeshi workers, there are Pakistani workers, there are, all, there are refugees from all over the place who are being treated very badly. They have their passports held and they have threats. They work every day under threat. And they work every day under bully. Some of them get beaten with iron rods. Some of them have policemen putting them into jail, in, out, in, out, or lock up all the time. And here we are. God is good all the time. And there's a place for that. But let's not sit in that place all the time. Let's just remember that the gospel is there to make us uncomfortable about being too comfortable. And so I want to show you what should it do for us what should it do for us? Next slide. Let's look. The Justice Psalms should help us hear. And so when you, when you read the Justice Psalms, they should help us to hear the cries of those down the road from us. Because if these are not our cries, they are somebody's cries. So let's look at some cries. But this one, I want you to think of one, of one persecuted group in Malaysia. Just can you think for me for a moment, one persecuted group in Malaysia? Have you got that? It could be a foreign group, it could be a local group, it could be somebody, I see you nodding, okay, you've got that profile. Is it a man or a woman? Can you clarify that in your head? Does she have children? Yes, are her children here with you, uh, here in Malaysia? Maybe not. you got that profile? Let's read this song. Let's hear this person speak. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are bellowing with their mouths, with swords on their lips, for who they think will hear us. These are the oppressors, the cruel landlords, the thoughtless policemen, and so on and so forth. Who will hear us? Nobody will hear us. We can do anything to these women. We can do anything to these boys. Nobody will hear us. SRBKL at Sungai Buloh should hear us. SRBKL at Sungai Buloh should hear both of them. 
to hear the cry of the oppressed and the, and the wicked words of the oppressor. We should hear it. You know where we can hear it? When we open up our Bibles and we turn to Psalms like Psalm 59. That's a place where we can hear the voices of those who are oppressed. Let's move on. And not just to hear their cries, but it shows us God's heart. God has a heart for justice. God, has a, God is indignant about injustice. Every day we should see it. Let's look at the verse. Psalm 109. With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise Him in the midst of the throng. For what? For what? Why? Why will I praise God? For He stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. And we say, God, I will follow you everywhere you go. We say, I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And there he is, standing at the right hand of those in desperate need. Have you followed Jesus? To where he is standing. Fergus, I speak to myself. Fergus, have you followed Jesus to where he is standing? This challenges you, my friends, this challenges me. So I can tell you, super challenges me. Let's be challenged together. Pastor and congregation, let's be challenged together. Because before, when Jesus in the picture, we are all sheep, including me, under the hand of our great shepherd. May He lead us to where He stands, which is next to the needy one. And for, for those of us who have generally not suffered injustice, these Psalms, they help us here. These Psalms will help us to show God's heart. And there's just one more that I want to show you. They stir us into action. They stir us into action. It does something. It cajoles us. It pokes us. It chocho us. It kind of like goads us. And it's a good goading. Sometimes we need that goading. I need that goading. It stirs us to act righteously. Let's look at the verse here. This is not, this is not from a psalm. This is from the prophet Micah. And this is what the prophet Micah says about justice. He has told you, O man, what is good. He has told you, huh? So we can't say he didn't tell us. He has told us what is good. And what the Lord requires, everybody say require. He requires it of us. To what? To do justice. To love kindness. To walk humbly with our God. God requires it of us, huh, my friends. You know in the Old Testament, let's take the slide off for a moment. You know, in the Old Testament, I was talking to you a little bit about economic injustice. When you harvest your grain and your crops, you pick it, right? You pick your stalks of wheat, you pick your whatever it is, right? They don't have machines. And even then, machines was, were, are not perfect at picking things up, though they are a lot more accurate. You pick up your crop and you walk. And I know this happens, I don't pick up crop, I harvest laundry from the laundry line, right? And I walk from the, from the laundry line to my bedroom to toss it over my bed. And along the way, I will drop a sock, I will drop like something, right? The kids, a uh, 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 um, uh, cardigan or something like that, something will fall on the floor. Now, 
When that happens to you in the Old Testament days, when you are harvesting crop, and you drop an apple, it rolls away, you drop a few stalks of your wheat, and they're just there for the taking, for your taking, God says, don't pick it up. Whatever you drop, don't pick it up. You are not allowed to pick it up. What? It's my crops, man. What are you talking about? It's my crops. I planted it. I sowed it. I, I, I fed it. I cared for it. I sang love songs to it. I will pick my crops up. Some of you sing to your plants, I know. So just keep doing it. It's fine. Right? It's, it's neither biblical nor unbiblical. Right? You say, why can't I pick my crops up? Jesus says no. God says no. The Word of God says no. You want to know why? Whatever you can't hold on, just keep on going and harvest the rest. Guess what? You already have a lot. That is for the homeless. That is for the widow. That's for the orphan. That's for the foreigner in your land. They even have a name for it. It's called gleaning. It's called gleaning. So that after the harvesters are done, they go through the whole, the whole field once. You're allowed to go through the field once. You can't backtrack. You start from A, you go all the way to Z, and you bring it back. And whatever you, whatever you talimpat, whatever along the path, then after the harvesters, usually the women are done, and it all goes into the barns, the homeless will come out from the cracks. And the, and, and the widows and orphans and the weakest, the most vulnerable in your community will all start coming out from the alleyways and the byways, from holes in the walls that you never even knew existed. They will come out one by one. They will pick, they will pick, they will go through the whole thing. Round number two is for justice. Round number two is for the oppressed. Round number two is for all of them. And so today... Now, I told you all about my milieu over this week, right? The kind of things that have been on my mind. And it's, of course, not just Elon Musk. So let's not victimise just one guy, right? But, but it's all kinds of billion-dollar business that doesn't just go through once and go back and go through twice and go back and go through many, many rounds. And it tightens the process to the point that nothing slips through the cracks. And every Monday morning, they gather to make sure that they are looking at the cracks, to make sure nothing ever slips through the cracks. But you know what? In our economy, if it slips through the cracks, it's not as if a widow is going to crawl out and pick it up. Our, our modern-day market economy is such that it is what it is. And so there are no perfect equivalents. But my friends, there is an equivalent of value. It's equivalent of value in the sense that when we, the comfortable, make wealth, spare a thought. When we, who are in, able to influence policy, able to influence the wealthy, we, we dinner with people who, who have access or people who have access to access and we are able to shape the views, spare a thought. And not just a thought, but spare an action, and not just one. Maybe let's start to order our lives and our Christian walk along the lines of remembering those in, who need mercy and justice. Over this last week, I had the privilege of having breakfast with three people. And I found myself at a breakfast table 
when all three of them have done prison ministry. So I, clearly I felt very inadequate, right? The pastor, the pastor there has never set foot anywhere near a prison, uh, so help him God. And I was there with three people who, who um, I engaged in that ministry. And I was very humble. And I started to hear one or two stories. I heard stories of teenage boys who are drug mules and they are now on death row. Meanwhile, the drug lords are still outside, still doing their business, still transporting contraband from A to Z with more teenage boys as drug mules. Why? Because their life is cheap. And they can sit on death row. Some of them have the joy and the privilege of being exposed to the gospel in prison and they're saved and it's because of those three people, people like that, that they hear the gospel in prison. I never knew people like us could visit prison in Malaysia, in Kajang. We could. We just... We just do, the, do one or two things and get ourselves checked, properly checked, background checked. There are organisations that go in and we can go in with them. I never knew this. Now I know. There's a story of a girl from China. And uh, one of my friends met this girl from China on death row. She was asked, Do you have family? Yes, I do. Do you have children? Yes, I have two children. Where are they? Back in China. Who's looking after them? My mother. Do they know you're alive? Do they, know you, do, do they think you're dead? Or do they know that you're alive in prison here in Malaysia? They know I'm here in prison in Malaysia. Apparently, there is a movement. And apparently, it's quite close to it. For, 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 for the Malaysian law on death penalty to be, uh, to be overturned. Such that if it's overturned, then these women will see out the rest of their days in prison. I'm not sure if they will ever have their prison sentences reduced, given that it's, it's, it's carrying more than X, X grams or X kilograms, right? I know, of, I was told of uh, the, some of the boys, 18, 19-year-old boys carrying 8 kilograms of drugs but it's not theirs, right? We know it belongs to the drug lords. And it's there to be sold. They're not getting a lot of money for it. But they risk their lives for it. And now they're on death row. And this, these women in prison are hoping, and they're hoping and praying that the Malaysian government will overturn the law on corporal punishment so that at least they can see out the rest of their days. They don't have to be sentenced to death right there in prisons. They can still write to their children as they grow old and hear stories about their children. Sometimes we think, in prison already, lah, what's the difference? Big difference. You can get a photo of your 8-year-old who became an 18-year-old. It makes a big difference. And the 18-year-old becomes a 38-year-old with a 5-year-old girl. It makes a big difference. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for these people. Even right now, let's just say a prayer. Father, we just want to pray and remember the prisoners in our land. We just want to remember people who have been starved of relationships, starved of justice, starved of, of... I mean, Lord, we know that whatever happened in their lives to cause them to, to make decisions, to transport um, even contraband, 
from border to border, we know that these things, these things are complex and these things are, 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 are part of a broken, sinful world. And yet right now, Lord, our heart goes out to every single one of them and we pray for them. We pray, Lord, that we pray, Lord, this is the first time I'm ever praying this prayer. I'm praying right now, Lord, reverse and repeal this death penalty in Malaysia. Lord, to the extent, I'm just going to pray this naively and simply. I don't care how much it costs to maintain the prisons. Give these people a chance to grow old and see out their life so that they can continue corresponding with their living families who are outside in the free world and continue to be able to see out their days and not to have it cut short. Because every one life that remains alive is another evangelist potential evangelists waiting to be birthed in a prison cell. So Father, we pray this over our land. In Jesus' name, Amen. And so with that, we move on very quickly now to the imprecatory psalms. The imprecatory psalms, the psalms that carry a voice that honestly, you and I, we may never have prayed like that. And if we ever did, we may feel very guilty for praying like that. Because honestly, some of the people we are praying this against don't deserve to die, don't deserve to have their children's heads smashed against the rocks and stuff like that. And these psalms are graphic and visual. Imprecatory psalms are the psalms that pronounce curses and misfortune upon the evildoers. And so, as I wrestled with, it, with these psalms, I'm just going to show you one. I'm just going to show you one or two, right? Um, let's take a look at the next page. Christians, scholars, pastors, we have wrestled with the role of these psalms for a long time. Some, sometimes we have said, oh, maybe they are not inspired word of God. Wrong. They are the inspired word of God. For a particular purpose, yes. But they are. We can't say that they are not inspired word of God. And then some other people, they feel very nervous about these psalms. They say maybe the psalmist was directing it exclusively at the devil, not at people. But they are wrong. Many of them actually name the oppressors out there. They name the actual people. Uh, um, and, and David names the people who are betraying him, right? So it's not true that they are only directed at the devil. Some people feeling uncomfortable say, oh, it's because God in Old Testament is an angry God and God in the New Testament is a loving God. Not true. Say that to Ananias and Sapphira, struck down dead New Testament church, right? Because they lied to God, right? Say that to Israel who had chance after chance after chance after chance to, to mend their ways. The grace and mercy they have been shown, it's not true. And in this church, we will not carry that kind of theology, uh, uh, that Old Testament angry God, New Testament gracious God. That's not true. It's the same God yesterday, today and forever. And so some people say, oh, maybe the Psalms are there to teach us how not to pray. Oh, come on. They're scraping the barrel. We're not even going to go there. Let's look at some specimens of these Psalms. Kiran, let's go. Let's have a look. Psalm 109, verse 8 to 12. May his days be few. May another take his office. That's not bad, right? Like you pray for some people who are cruel in office. May another take his office. That's okay. And then it starts to get really grisly. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. Oh, my goodness. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. 
Now, my friends, I don't quite know what to do with these Psalms. Do you? Are they inspired word of God? Yes. Is God equally gracious, merciful, and just in the Old and New Testament? Yes, of course He is. And so what, 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 what's up with these? And maybe for a little bit of help, I shall turn you in your own minds and in your own Bibles to many of the pieces of law in Leviticus. And you look at it and you say, like, there's no way. There's no way we treat leprosy this, day, this way these days anymore. You know, no, we don't put them into a house and wait seven days and then check their skin and then keep them for another seven days and then take them out again and check whether there's a yellow dot and stuff like that. We don't treat people that way anymore. Right? We don't literally stone people to death. I mean, we stone people to death on Twitter, right? We don't stone people to death anymore, right? We don't do that. And so, as we go about navigating with our Bibles, we realize that there are some things that we don't practice in a literal form anymore. We adopt, we adapt. We hear the heart of God and we move it into an application that makes sense in the 21st century. Retaining God's heart for what is just and true. And there's a lot to say about that, but all I mean to say is this. Because we look at that and we say, Jesus shows us a new way, a new way to do law, a new way to do righteousness. And so we understand what it means to look at some of the Old Testament and say, some of these things, Jesus has given us a new way. Maybe that's how we can think of the imprecatory Psalms. That that was the best they knew how to do. That's the best they've got, is to cry out for justice like this. And then, what has Jesus given us? Let's look at the next slide. Jesus has given us, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Huh? So I cannot ask God to break their teeth Radio, you? I have to pray, I have to pray for the persecuted. Not just that. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, to do what is honourable in the sight of all. Wow! So I cannot pray for their children to be fatherless, Radio? Dang! Dang! That sounded, that sounded, it had a good ring to it. Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't have a good ring to it. As Christians under the shadow of the cross, were we not saved from our own sickness, our own guilt, our own, our own violence? We may, not, we may not have violence in a systemic way, but we've spoken violently against our wives and husbands. We've spoken violently against our parents. We have thought and felt violently against each other. Have we not? Are we not recipients of the grace of God? And in so, God is saying, huh, this is a higher way. And then Jesus came. That, maybe that's why it's so radical. The Sermon on the Mount and the, and the Gospel is just so radical. It just breaks everything because the only way we knew how, we've got hindsight, they don't. The only way people know how to respond to injustice is to say, God, may you make their children fatherless. May you make orphans out of their children because I can't stand these people. And then God shows us a higher way and He's called us toward it. Okay, okay, let's live to this higher way. So how then do we interact with the imprecatory Psalms? If you have some practical tools, I'm going to give you two practical ways that I 
interact with the imprecatory sounds. I'm going to show it to you now. Number one, I co-opt its imprecatory language to pray against spiritual powers of darkness. Now, I'm not saying that the Psalms are directed at the spiritual powers of darkness. I'm saying I call up the language so that today I can say, God, behind this person who is afflicting me, behind this person who is stalking me, sending me hate mail, send, uh, threatening to harm my wife and children, Lord, there is a demonic power behind it. Break the teeth of that demonic power. Smash it to pieces, Lord. Father, may you chain the demonic power and may you cause it to fall into the same pit that it dug for me. May it fall into that pit itself. May you crush the head of the serpent that is behind this person who is afflicting me. And may you save this person. I pray for the one who persecutes me. May you cause them to come to the power of the living God. Can we pray like that? Can you, can you call up the language of the imprecatory psalms so that they are no longer just placed into this dusty part of your shelf, but you can actually use it, you can use all that language, diverting it to the spiritual powers that are oppressing them so that we can pray the imprecatory psalms. They are, they are, they are, they are not just uncomfortable parts of the Bible we don't know what to do with. That's one. That's one way I have practically found to interact with these psalms. It's not gospel truth, but it's just my way of making sense of them. But the second one is this. It humbles me. The imprecatory Psalms humble me to consider how bad injustice must be to drive someone to the point where they have to pray like that. I believe that most of us will not naturally wake up and if things are moderately comfortable, we start praying that other people's children will become orphans. We don't, we're not like that. We're not, we're not evil like that. How bad must the injustice be? How cruel must some people, how much cruelty must some people live under to cause them, to push them to the point of such desperation they would actually pray like that? It humbles me. When I read the imprecatory psalms, it makes me feel, oh my gosh, there must be some real injustice in this world to drive them to this point. And I don't judge them. You know what? We are comfortable. If we can sit around in a room and say, oh, are the imprecatory psalms acceptable language for biblical people? Maybe they weren't written for us. Or maybe they are. They're written for us to humble us. Let's pray. Let's close. Because in a moment, we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, there is one thing I want to bring before your minds. And it is the injustice that took place upon the person and the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scorned by those who He came to save. Whipped, butchered, bled, beaten, spat at, made to feel like a counterfeit king when he was the only real king who was there. Subjected his body, put it on the line to be utterly wrecked. For who and for what? To stand by the right hand of those in need. Says the psalm. And you know who is that person on the right hand? 
of those in need, says the Gospels, the criminal on the cross. As he hung there, you know both criminals were slagging Jesus off. I believe if you look at the Synoptic Gospels, you were, uh, or jo plus John, I think, that both the, of them were slagging Jesus off. And I believe it might be the Gospel of Luke or Mark. One of them, after a while, has a moment of clarity. It snaps for him. And after the both of them were mocking Jesus, he snaps out of it and he says that, hey, actually, you know, uh, we are here for our crimes. He's not here for any crime. We are, we are here for what we deserve. He is here for what he doesn't deserve. He snaps out of it, you know. Today, let us all snap out of our comfort and turn to Christ and say, when you enter into your kingdom, can you remember me? Forgive me? And so, the Lord is there at the right hand of the one who is in need. He lays his body down to be utterly broken for folks like us. For folks like, if you can say, a them out there. But really, it's like all of us. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we hold this symbol of the bread, of the body of Jesus in our hands, and we say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being the other in the fire. Thank you for being that other in the water. You held back the sea. You took the flames for me so that today I do not have to die. And thank you, Lord, that when my neighbour cries out for justice, there is another in the fire standing there by them. There is another in the water holding back the sea for them. Thank you. And Father, I pray that today, though it is you, tomorrow it would be me and you by those in the fire, by those in the water. And then on the third day, it will be all of us in the fire with those oppressed, in the waters with those who are drowning. Thank you for being that other in the fire on the cross to die for my sins. Let us partake of this bread together. After supper had ended, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, a new promise, a new blood covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, as often as you gather like this, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross. We thank you that because you bled to death, your blood today has power to heal, to forgive, to transform us. And so we hold this in holy reverence because as we partake this, we partake the memory of the promise that God will never leave us, never forsake us, but also 
He will never leave the oppressed. He will never for leave, forsake the oppressed. And He's going to do that never leaving, never forsaking through us. Father, as we partake of this cup, unite us in Your work of standing with those who hurt. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to invite the worship team to come. In church, maybe as a closing moment, just want you to know this. There will come a day when we will get ourselves organised. And organised in such a way that we can maybe do something for those who are dying and, 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 and in need around us. Before that day comes, you don't have to wait. You can start praying. You don't have to wait. We can all start praying. Pray for justice to come upon this land. And I've already given you one. Pray for the overturning, right, of the death penalty so that that Chinese, Chinese mother and some of these teenage boys can grow old, share the gospel in prison, see their children and their children's children. Come, let us pray. Where will you be, Lord God? Come every battle at the right hand of those in need. So Father, we want to thank you. We want to praise you. And I pray right now for every single one of us online. If you need prayer, just type in pray into the Zoom chat. Someone will break out and pray with you. Physical church right here in front of me. If you need prayer for any situation in your life, it doesn't have to be related to this sermon. But if you're going through whatever situation and you feel you need prayer, I want to invite you to just come out from your seat I'm going to do this slightly differently. Just walk all the way to the back, okay? If you need prayer, just walk all the way to the back. Just slip out of your chair, walk all the way to the back, and there'll be someone at the back ready to pray for you, okay? You don't have to clutter the front, and if you're embarrassed, you don't have to come to the front. Everyone's, there are other people at the back anyway with the children, so you can just join them and just tell someone there, I would love to be prayed for, and someone there will pray for you, amen? All right, so we'll think of that as the prayer corner down the back, okay? Now, now let's let's pray let's close okay father we just want to exalt you and thank you and seek you and father we want to come before you and say lord transform our hearts and through us through our transformed hearts transform this world that we live in so lord take over minister to us deep in our hearts in places where we need you we're crying out to you father come don't take long lord but come, remember us, Lord God. Hear our cries, O Lord God. Do not let us wonder, Lord God, whether indeed you have slumbered, whether you have gone to sleep. For the God who, the God of Israel does not slumber. He does not sleep. So Father, thank you that you don't, but you are attentive, you are active and present in our lives. So Father, come, be with us, not just on this Sunday, but throughout these days. Not this on this moment, but for all our moments. Be with us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face and to shine upon you and be gracious to you, be merciful to you, to show justice to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you shalom. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. <laughs>